Here's the new Cold War podcast with Edward Lucas. For many people in the West, the shortages and inconveniences caused by the pandemic are unlike anything they've ever experienced. But for those of us who live behind the Iron Curtain, they're oddly familiar. Egg boxes, please. That was my request to visitors coming to see me when I lived in what we used to call Eastern Europe. They were happy to oblige, but a little puzzled. Egg boxes are disposable items for all but fanatical recyclers. But for me, living in places like the Soviet-occupied Baltic states, shortage-stricken communist Poland, or the former Yugoslavia, they were rare and wonderful items. Eggs were scarce enough in the so-called workers' paradise, but worse, nowhere in the communist world could one find a safe and convenient way of transporting them. The usual way of carrying them home was in a homemade paper cone, and I would frequently get back and find my precious cargo was cracked or broken. Egg boxes were not only crucial to my store cupboard, they were an essential way of making friends. Neighbours and acquaintances would borrow them for a shopping trip and then return them. They made an excellent gift. When they cracked or crumbled, I mended them with glue and paper till new ones arrived from the West. Until last month, such memories of life behind the Iron Curtain seemed like ancient fables. The tales of empty shelves, grumpy queues, shuttered restaurants and cramped, unreliable transport were as remote to modern Britain as my parents' stories about wartime rationing. My children listened in horrified amusement when I explained how I spent months without toilet paper torn up sheets of communist propaganda newspapers like Pravda, which means truth, or Izviestia, news, served the purpose just as well, and they were never in short supply. I would enjoy practising my Russian on some particularly choice piece of ideological garbage, and then put it to the appropriate use. Back in the West, my family would always tease me for my ingrained penchant for stockpiling. For years, I bought all household supplies in bulk, not only because it's cheaper, but it makes me sleep better. Just supposing something happened, I'd explain, as we tried to find storage space in cupboards already bulging with bags of flour, rice and pasta, mountains of tins and cartons of detergent. On trips to America, I would buy cheap first aid supplies and fast tubs of paracetamol and ibuprofen, shocking my safety-conscious medical friends who think these potentially lethal pills should be sold only in small packets for safety reasons. I remember what it was like to live in a place where such simple medical items were difficitly unobtainable. Now the teasing has stopped. The shortages of the past few weeks caused by panic buying were marked by barely a tremor in our household. Indeed, it was a useful opportunity to consume some items in the stockpile that were nearing, or in fact way beyond, their use-by date. True, the dumplings made with an ancient packet of suet proved too much for my daughter's sensitive taste buds, but Panda the dog ate the dumplings and the rest of the suet quite happily. If our pocket handkerchief London garden were only bigger, I would do what my East European friends did under communism, grow my own. Anything that could be bottled, pickled or dried was zealously harvested and preserved. The only outlet for that instinct now is marmalade, which I make in industrial quantities, using glass jars hoarded throughout the year. But the pandemic and the accompanying disruption has brought some of my old instincts to life. Communism mostly made people selfish, but surviving in the failing state-planned economy also encouraged altruism and cooperation. For years, I've made bread as a relaxation. 
Now it's a social service. Neighbours bring me flour, I give them back a fresh loaf. It's no trouble to bake a bit extra. That reminds me of my friends in Prague who would feed me and risk the attentions of the secret police to enjoy my company. They were glad to have a chance to practice their English. Eating in restaurants was much less attractive. Simply getting through the door was a struggle. The worst physical injury I suffered covering the collapse of the Soviet Union was from a hefty kick to my shin from a waiter in Latvia when I tried to stop him slamming a restaurant door in my face. And even if you got in, you'd be lucky to find more than bread and vodka, at least until you produce some foreign currency. My trick was to start by tipping the waiter a few dollars, with the promise of the same again if the meal was edible and served quickly. It never failed. I still remember the scene when McDonald's opened its first restaurant in Moscow. The queue, thousands of curious Russians, stretched for hundreds of metres. The idea of tasty, nutritious food served by friendly staff in a clean environment was astounding. One friend of mine travelled from the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, a 1,400-mile round trip, just to experience it. The fast food chain, with its excellent management and efficient supply arrangements, was a harbinger of the capitalist revolution to come. In recent weeks, some skills from those days have become useful again. Always carry a shopping bag. You never know what will be in stock when. Make the most of your personal connections. Be stoical. Life could get worse. Don't listen to rumours. Learn to cook with whatever you've got in the kitchen. But I have to restrain myself from using some other old tricks. For a start, there is, so far, no black market. As a student in communist Poland in the 1980s, I found that a lifeline. My attempts at retail therapy were entirely fruitless. Shops had huge displays in the windows, but these were Potomkin villages, made with posters and empty cartons. If you actually tried to buy these goods, the staff treated you like a lunatic. Basic supplies like bread were available, but only first thing in the morning, and for those ready to queue, and I never seemed to be in the right line at the right time. But I found that a modest tip to the cleaning lady in our university hall of residence provided all the shopping I needed. I don't know how she did it, but I didn't need to. My brother and I were so struck by the shortages that played communist Yugoslavia in the mid-1980s that we tried our own hand at black marketeering. We bought coffee and laundry powder in Vienna, stuffed them into our rucksacks and sold them at a street market in Dubrovnik. Business was slow at first. Yugoslavs were unfamiliar with the vacuum-packed grounds that we'd bought. They were used to beans. My brother seized his penknife and slashed open a packet. Smerditito. Smell that, we commanded, and we sold our stock in minutes. In Romania, under communism, the nominal currency, the lieu, was all but worthless. Instead of its greasy notes, the preferred means of exchange and store of value were cigarettes. Though I was an ardent non-smoker, before travelling to Romania, I would buy a couple of hundred packets at the airport, duty-free. That would magically lead to restaurants suddenly producing a table and something edible, and they also helped conjure up a taxi, a hotel room or train ticket. Not just any cigarettes, though. Only one brand, Kent, would do. Nobody knew why. Economists have long scratched their heads about that. And nobody actually smoked these cigarettes. They were far too valuable. The hard-pressed staff in my local supermarket would quite rightly be insulted if I tried to gain preferential treatment that way. I refrain even from quizzing them about the delivery schedule. Other people need the flour, beans and pasta far more than I do. After all, I have my emergency stockpile. This is Edward Lucas with the New Cold War podcast. You can find more about me, my books and other publications at edwardlucas.com 
or follow me on Twitter at Edward Lucas. This has been a homegrown media production. For more on the new Cold War, please visit edwardlucas.com.